Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Pierre, and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings, citizens. Yes, uh, this is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together, we watch the movie, we talk about it. And on this particular episode, we are reviewing a vote winner every month on patreon.com slash TV. Our $5 and up patrons get to vote between four movies. And the winner for this month was 10 Cloverfield Lane, a kind of sequel to Cloverfield, unsurprisingly. Uh, this had an interesting release. It kind of sprung out of nowhere. Uh, very rare for this day and age, but it just kind of showed up with a trailer and said, it's coming out in a month. Oh, by the way, Cloverfield is now an anthology science fiction movie series. Kind of almost like, almost like in the way that um, Halloween 3 tried to turn Halloween into a horror anthology series. Uh, Cloverfield's kind of that for like alien sci-fi stuff. Um, admittedly, 10 Cloverfield Lane by itself actually saying admitting that it's sci-fi is kind of a spoiler because the movie doesn't really get to that until very 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 late on but it's a sci-fi podcast i can't really hide it we're talking about it so i was going to bring that up in the spoilers <laughs> so apologies but well, well, well i mean otherwise why are we talking about it <laughs> we don't know if it's a spoiler or not <laughs> So, um, otherwise, though, we'll keep this spoiler-free until we warn you of spoilers, and we'll, we'll get into things. But uh, the, the basic premise of this is that uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, plays a character the name Michelle, who is running away from her fiancé at the start of the movie. She gets into a car crash, and she wakes up in a bunker, a doomsday bunker, with a very unhinged John Goodman, who has built this place, and a third character named Emmett. And she is told that there's been some sort of an attack and that the air up above is not breathable. And she's very dubious of accepting this. But that is the position she finds herself in. So a lot of the movies are trying to suss out if this is real, is it not real? And uh, is John Goodman dangerous? Is he not dangerous? That kind of thing. So it's that kind of thriller. Uh, directed by Dan Trachtenberg, uh, who has made very little in the way of feature-length movies other than this. Uh, he's apparently working on a movie that's supposed to be the next Predator, so hopefully that turns out to be good. But, uh, yeah. So, but I guess the first thing to get out of the way is that, yeah, the first Cloverfield didn't leave, like, a lasting impression on me. And then when we rewatched it for the show, like, it just it just went down, in my opinion. Like, even the vague memories I had of, like, kind of liking it went away, and I was like, yeah, I'm not really into this anymore. 10 Cloverfield Lane is the good one. Mm-hmm. It is a great movie that is just a great standalone story. You don't have to see Cloverfield at all for it. Uh, in fact, I'd recommend you just don't bother. <laughs> just watch 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's That's actually good. how I saw it. So I, I didn't see Cloverfield until we reviewed it just a few weeks ago for the first time. And I enjoyed it, but it was my first time watching it. Mm. And I, I, I said in the review that I didn't have as much experience watching terrible found footage movies as you have. So it was, you know, fun for me. And uh, so when I went and saw this in the theater, I had not seen Cloverfield. But I knew that there was monsters. I didn't know what they were, but I knew that there were monsters in it. But he has a lot of good stuff in this. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with characters. It is a bottle movie with a very limited cast of three uh, but you know, barring one or two small things, like you hear the the fiance's voice in the phone, which is apparently Bradley Cooper. Uh, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Random. In the, the IMDb. <laughs> like, 
I guess he's friends with someone and they probably just give him this little like sort of like sneaky cameo because it's a fun thing to do yeah. but hey he's good with voiceover yeah. work right yeah I mean it's not like I heard him on the phone in this and went that's Rocket <laughs> <laughs> her boyfriend's Rocket <laughs> no wonder she's in such a weird place she's dating a raccoon mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know it's, it's a tense film it's it's completely paced immaculately i felt especially since you know a little behind the curtain here we delayed this review a little bit after the first time we were trying to record it so i've actually watched it twice now uh in about a week because we we pushed the the episode and there's going to be a bit of a gap between this episode and the next one as well uh because tara's got some stuff going on can't record for about a week and which you know uh i suppose i should tell you but it's kind of weird because the there's kind of been a gap with the last one so this is kind of your your island episode in the middle of like a gap and then we'll be back to normal weekly episodes uh maybe you'll even get like a two quick episodes together uh, when dune comes out because it'll be around then i think we'll be back but um should be back in time for dune yeah but um i've watched it twice and the funny thing i was is that watching it again today uh, as a rewatch, and I wasn't necessarily planning on like completely paying attention. I think I was like, "Oh, I'll put it on and sort of refresh my memory" because I watched that a week mm-hmm. ago. Now, uh, I ended up sitting paying attention to it by and large uh, most of the time. It's a great film. I, I mean, I totally agree with that. It's very engaging. Uh, it's paced really well. well. The music, I think, it really accompanies it, like to where you you do like pay attention because the music's asking you to when when she's like figuring things out and troubleshooting in her mind like you know because the cues and because the acting Mm. i think everyone's cast really well in this film and i think the characters because they're very limited are incredibly well written and yeah very capable hey that's like it that's why i like good bottle movies now obviously there's a lot of bad ones too but the reason why i like bottle movies so much and bottle episodes of tv shows is because it forces the writing to be like so good because it has to be mm-hmm. if the writing isn't good then all you're left with is like a small group of characters in a building or a room or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is so there's a- yeah i i think i when i watched this movie for the first time in the theater i remember being really impressed with her with winstead's character because like almost immediately she is fully capable of helping herself and and trying to figure things out i was used to seeing like women who are who are trapped in a place waiting for like whoever the the culprit is to mess up to find their opportunity to try to escape or hurt them back or something but right away she's like productive i remember that like being so cool (laughs) because i just it's not something you see very often in these types of scenario but there is there's also a character arc where she does have her limits and Mm -hmm. part of the arc is about exploring that what that limit is and why she has that limit and you know we'll get into that in spoilers obviously but uh that is there uh emmett who is like the other guy who's there um who's kind of a likable kind of becomes a friend to her he has his own little arc as well John mm-hmm. Goodman, like all three of them have really nuanced performances that I'm going to like point out a lot of specific moments uh, when we get to spoilers. There's a couple of moments that are very sinister or suggestive. Dreadful. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I was going to finish and say it, but they're actually shockingly funny at the same time. There's a couple of moments in this that I think are darkly very funny. Um, sure. And, but, and most of it tends to be because John Goodman says something that has a really bad undertone. And it's the way Mary Elizabeth Winstead reacts with her eyes that just made me like laugh in like a sort of, not in like a hysterics, but like in like a, 
like her realizing what he's saying to her in the moment and processing it is kind of darkly funny uh sure. so I, there's there's a few moments like that i, I think the sound design is very interesting both like the opening is very distinctly quiet uh, there's just music playing as the opening plays out before we eventually get the car crash pretty much and the silence is used again at a couple of key points but even something as simple as like you hear a lot of john goodman breathing in this movie like he's got a very sort of you know he's a big guy he's kind of out of breath a lot and movies don't necessarily always keep that in like you know they'll, they'll they want to make it feel i don't know more pleasant or you know more professional whatever mm-hmm. but there's a very intentional choice here to hear him kind of out of breath between words and kind mm-hmm. of hear him breathing down your neck a little bit uh, you know to feel his presence even when there is no words being spoken there's a lot, very smart use of the space between it's like, a, like an angry bull <laughs> you don't <laughs> want him to charge at you <laughs> so yeah I, I, think, I think that's all used exception and i think having now seen it three times <laughs> total <laughs> with watching it twice now for this um not my fault <laughs> no this one wasn't your fault uh th- th- this was actually kind of a neutral thing both of us kind of needed to push it for different reasons um yeah and then your mic thing broke and that's why the episode's particularly late actually because uh you'll notice i've got a fancy new shock mount because the the previous mount snapped and i couldn't use my mic for a couple of days so yeah that was a that was a whole kerfuffle i do really love that john goodman was cast in this i mean i think he's perfect in it but also i like when i think of john goodman as a character like in films and in tv shows i think of him as a friendly oh yeah like some person i always think of him as like the like the dad from roseanne who is always i mean i guess he could be angered by his kids sometimes or by roseanne but like for the most part he was so fair and loving and warm (laughs) and nice he he has maybe like less comedic or maybe not less comedic but less friendly roles like you know i think of like Big Lebowski is kind of like a nut, nut job in that, but in a more funny yeah. way, right? Whereas, sure. Yeah. But I He's think, still kind of likable in that. <laughs> I think I think this is more akin to like when like Robin Williams decided to do a couple of thrillers where he was the villain in those thrillers and how good yeah. he was at being this menacing guy. And this isn't like a one-to-one because... This there, isn't one-hour photo. Um, th- This is kind of like a... Like, okay, he's clearly a little you know he's got conspiracy theories he's maybe a little off but his intentions still might be good right there's still definitely a, a yeah, question he, he's just like a prepper you know yeah uh for one of the great moments you know the, i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say this but there's a great moment when he's first trying to explain what's happened up above the way he casually throws in a sentence to implying that it might be martians without even mm-hmm. pausing without sort of emphasizing it he just throws it in like, it could be the russians it may be the martians are here now like it's like they wait, finally you, made it did you, something, did, yeah. did you just say martians <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's just there's a little moment where it, but it's so the way he just throws it in like it's nothing it's just enough to say okay even if he has the best of intentions even if like he is going to be great to her and to Emmett. And there's nothing sinister going on here. He's still got a bit of a screw loose. Like there's still mm-hmm. something there that needs to be like at least watched or kept an eye on. So yeah, uh, very strong character dynamics between the three characters. Very strong performances from all three actors. I think the direction from Trachtenberg, who you know was a first timer. I mean, I don't know if this is literally the first movie he made, but it was the first time I saw anything made by him. 
Uh, he really doesn't have too much on his filmography that we can compare to. No. So that that's, that's just like because obviously you feel relief when there's a movie coming up that whether it be like a sequel to something or just a new movie but you see a director you like or you know and you have expectations based on that director who tends to be the best person of a movie production to gauge expectations on because the director's the one that's driving the force and all the rest of it the one that's bringing it all together and sometimes when you see a movie and it's an unknown director and you shouldn't feel this way because, I mean, the possibilities are endless. It could be anything from the most amazing thing you've ever seen to the worst thing you've ever seen. You don't know. It's a new name. But you do kind of veer, I think, towards, oh, it's the unknown. So it feels like a riskier because I guess there's more bad than good, ultimately. This is kind of the best case scenario when there's a name you don't recognize where you watch it and go, oh, I think I like this director. I think mm-hmm. I want more from this director now. And all of a sudden, your list of names to have a bit of faith in when you see them on a imdb page or you see them on a trailer or whatever you're like ah okay i'm excited i can be excited for this now and it's obviously it's not directors we love let us down occasionally that happens it does happen Mm -hmm. you know Uh, speaking of predator shane black for example letting us down with one of those but i suspect that wasn't him possibly i've heard some behind the scenes stuff we're great but we're doing that in the not too distant future so let's save that okay because we're doing that we've already done the first two we'll be doing three and four in the near future so um and possibly avp actually now that i think about it that's right yeah because there's more alien movies so we should probably do avp with the predator movies uh, that makes sense <laughs> yeah because mm. we're, we're doing those once a year so it's gonna take a while yeah oh that means we need to do avp next damn it <laughs> yeah it's no problem <laughs> i mean not next on the show i just mean next out of the predator movies just to I don't, I don't want people thinking that AVPs what's what's coming back after the the one week <laughs> off or the, maybe the half week off. It kind of depends. Uh, we don't know exactly what the... we're done with good predator movies anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there me, any to look forward to? You've been miserable now. You've been miserable. <laughs> uh, well, Dan Trachtenberg's Predator that may be good. Maybe, yeah. <sighs> possibilities possibilities are endless so far he's batting 100 for me because i've only seen one thing he's done <laughs> i mean it's easy to bat 100 when you've only made one thing but i don't know i bet my first thing will be terrible yeah but I'm, i mean i'm sure he did some short film it's not like he just it's not like he just walked in one day and said i'm going to make a feature-length movie <laughs> thank you jj abrams mr producer i'll Man. do it <laughs> hire yes. me yes <laughs> Yes, John Goodman, established actor. You will listen to me, even though That's I've right. never made anything before. Um, so, yeah, no, I, it's hard to really fault much of this. I do have like one of small nitpicks uh, that I can bring up, uh, mostly revolving around the last like twenty minutes. And it's not that I dislike the last twenty minutes as a whole; just one or small, two small things in it that I think mm-hmm. maybe go a bit too far. But, um. I think the way it paces things out where it sort of like gets the characters to believe in certain things uh, so we can sort of go through different periods like of like, you know, like tension and solace and, you know, things in between and uh, all of that, the balancing act of that as the movie goes on is is great. And I, I think the fact that it's held up on not only a second viewing, but a third viewing that's been so, that's so quick after the second viewing is a good sign because the, 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 the thing that will fail... Right, if a movie is pretty good, but there's some like maybe some pacing qualms or some issues there, is that if you try and watch it twice, like close together, 
you'll really feel it on that second viewing. The fact that I didn't is like about as glowing as a praise as I can give to to the structure of a movie. Yeah. Well, you did the same thing with Replica, so how can we really trust it? <laughs> yeah, but I never <laughs> I never praised that <laughs> that movie's pacing though. That that movie it has is, perfect pacing. That movie does not have pacing. It's not a movie. <laughs> things just kind of happen occasionally there's no we're gonna have to do replica as a bonus soon (laughs) so people know what we're talking about you're the one who keeps bringing up i'm not bringing up replica you bring it up all the time you shut your mouth (laughs) you're you're you've got an agenda you're trying to bring it up so that we have to do it you're trying to create your own demand so that we have to supply everything's going exactly as planned (laughs) um so yeah, I'm just trying to think of was anything else spoiler-free that I'd like to say before we go into the, the, the details. I, yeah, I do really like the direction. I think it's very, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of dread that you feel for her character, especially when the first time I watched it, when you don't really know exactly what his intentions are with her. You know, she wakes up and she's like tied to a bed, basically. In a, in a room with one door and no windows and he's telling her that he did it to save her but you're like okay but this uh it looks bad and uh and um uh i i think the, the dread and then when the music kicks in when she's starting to like figure things out and fight for herself and uh, there are some scenes that are really claustrophobic that uh were really effective as well and the story just continued to like surprise me as it went along the the twist that it takes and just when you think things are peaceful you know there's always a a thing that happens to to stir up some trouble again and uh, it, it's a it's a good survival film and it's a really good um really good drama thriller i suppose yeah i mean that first time he comes in to speak to her you know i mentioned the martians line uh, which actually isn't even that scene that's a later scene but um the way the camera doesn't show his face until a very specific line, and it's just you know it's just from behind his leg as mm-hmm. she's looking up at him, talking to him, uh, which first of all makes him very intimidating because she's on the ground, he's standing you know up in front of her, and there's he's a, a big guy. Yeah, like, so there's Goodman's a, not a small person. There's a visual power play happening just in the body language and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but the the fact that you don't cut to his face and see John Goodman. I mean, obviously we all recognize his voice, you know who John Goodman is, but. It doesn't cut to his face until the line, I'm going to keep you alive, which is, te- you know, technically an accurate statement. He's not lying when he says that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, you know, you could sort of read into it a little bit and say, well, that's why that's the first time we see his face, because that's the first outright true thing he really says to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's, there's some great sort of things to sort of dig into. So uh, I think with that, we will say spoilers from this point on, so we can talk about 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um you know, I mentioned the opening, you know, it's silent, uh, just music playing as she's, like, leaving uh, t- some place. We don't really get context too much, but we see, like, a, like a, an engagement ring at the end of the scene sitting on a table. So you can kind of, like, infer. Yeah, it's some it. city. It looks, it looks very New York-esque. Uh, I mean, I don't think it is, but given where she is at the end of the movie. But all this plays out with no sound. Uh, and I think this is, imp- I mean, obviously it's a, it's a strong kind of, like, you know, it's a strong stylistic choice at the start of the movie, but it's kind of important later because the next time we kind of hear something similar like this is when she gets out into the world at the end. 
So it's kind of this idea of like her feeling alone, like she's running. Like it kind of mirrors her feeling here to the feeling she's going to feel later on. So, so, but it also gives you that thing where uh, it does that thing where sound comes in right before the crash as she's talking on the, or she's listening to the boyfriend try to call her, and when she gets flipped over in the car when the truck hits her, it cuts the silence for the title. Mm-hmm. And for well, it's very, it's very isolating which yeah. is sort of the big thing in the film she's sort of like isolating herself from the outside world even people are trying to call her she's ignoring them i mean you get so much of the show don't tell in this because they're just literally showing you and not telling you yeah but that's the right way to do things which is again mm-hmm. which is just like like bottle movies force this uh mm-hmm. almost it, it just it forces at least with people who are competent enough to do it it forces good filmmaking <laughs> because you have to otherwise it just won't work you have no crutches to to stand on uh so yeah but she wakes up handcuffed to like the like the, the railing next to the, the and it's, it's not like a bed it's like a mattress on the floor it's like it's you know it, it, it looks like some sort of pervert sex then where he's got a captive victim that's what it looks like yeah it's all like mm-hmm. dimly lit with like a that yellow harsh yellow green light <laughs> where she looks like she's in a bunker there's only one door and it's like a heavy metal banker door or something some, like a vault that she's in but one of the things she... her, not just her 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 hands are cuffed but her legs like wrapped in a chain also no her hands aren't cuffed it's just a leg oh I, you said handcuffed so i thought maybe i missed it. yeah it's, it's like it's like a handcuff and like the loop that's on our like leg brace thing that's mm-hmm. up to the thing um but she but one of the things you said earlier is that she's immediately proactive she immediately tries to figure things out and she mm-hmm. grabs like there's like a, an iv drip uh for her and she immediately sort of like flips that over and tries to because she's there like a, you know she's got a, her, the clothes that have been taken off of her uh are sitting over there with like her wallet and stuff and she pulls things that she you know i mean it's not macgyver it's just a pole <laughs> like try it but you know it shows that yeah she's immediately <laughs> trying to figure things out and try to think of a way out of the situation so it shows you that she's like that immediately which is smart um but at the same time the opening sequence also showed that she just runs from things and a big part of this this movie is the idea that she's going to learn to not run from something if she feels that she should deal with it properly um mm-hmm. so it's kind of the start of her, her character arc but uh there's no service on her phone right which you know could just be the fact that they're underground right uh, there could be things blocking it, but at the same time, it could also lend, lend credence to the story that she's about to hear, which is that the civilization up above is is gone, and that we're now in a post-apocalyptic landscape. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's all these little hints. And I think one of the things that's interesting to me about the characters in this is that everything that convinces her that this may all be real, almost none of it comes from John Goodman's character. Mm-mm. And John Goodman's plan originally was always to be just him and her. Uh, or him and whoever like i mean i'm sure he didn't necessarily pick out his target until you know it was just more of a spur of the moment thing because it's not like he knew he was going to, she was going to be driving there maybe he was stalking the the station or something waiting for a potential victim or something right and then yeah. it's something that we don't really know uh that he's doing until later on anyway because yeah. emmett tells him that you know we know emmett's there because he helped him build the shelter so when when stuff started happening, he knew where to go. Yeah, as and... a, as an employee, it's worth mentioning. It's not like he's also, you know, he he, he knew to come here when he saw a big flash because he <laughs> helped build this place. Uh, yeah, 
So and uh, then Goodman talks about his daughter. So you could like think, well, maybe the extra room was for his daughter or something. Mm. Just the case or like just a, another family member or something. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it gives you... But it was just, you know, like, it's Emmett talking about actually seeing a flash, which actually gives... Okay, so something did kind of happen then, you know. Uh, it doesn't mean everything's true, but it means something right. happened. Um, and then, of course, it just... By happenstance, she sees... You know, she witnesses this woman who is at the door uh, with, like, you know, scarring and, like, like, a, like an acid burn or something all over her face. And mm-hmm. uh, it's like... Again, doesn't necessarily mean that it's because the air's toxic, but it does prove that there's something going on out there. It's not just normal everyday world. There are somebody th- is trying to get in, yeah. and Emmett said that he injured himself trying to get in. So there is like all the things that prove like, enough that she eventually stops like thinking about escaping at least for some time until there's other evidence to suggest that they kind of need to. Everything mm-hmm. comes from somewhere else. Like it was never anything like Goodman was able to convince her of or anything like that. It was all other things because there are there is some truth he's not he's, that's the crazy thing about all this is that as crazy as he is and given and we'll get to all the other things that he's kind of doing and why he's doing them or whatever but there is some truth to what he's saying there is there has been an attack mm-hmm. and lo and behold it is actually aliens <laughs> so it's like it is a sci-fi movie it is a sci-fi movie so he's not completely uh wrong and hell, it even, is strange that we have to like say that you know because we're reviewing this for the show it's already a spoiler of kind what of. happens I mean, in the film and even the fact i mean the air's not toxic in general but they do use a gas at the end so at least there mm-hmm. is some a little bit of credence to it where it's like oh no but they are using gases right i mean uh he doesn't know what's happening out there unless he had some sort of like because of his crazy conspiracy theories, like maybe there was one that was true about some Martians. And he's like, well, these yeah. are the guys that are going to come get us and or they, something. But they, they plant all these seeds that sort of give you just enough that maybe he does kind of know something. Like they say he worked with satellites when he was in the Navy. And that's mm-hmm. why he maybe like, why where he got some of his crazy theories from. Is maybe he was, you know, he was he was privy to some weird transmissions that, you know, weren't public or something like, yeah, yeah. So, something you know, tipped him off um or, or just just little things like that it's like because there's a scene where they hear something overhead I and mean, we get to see what one of these ships are at the end of the movie but they hear some big aircraft and the, the, the place is shaking like hey what's that and it's like oh it's military but not ours and emma's like how can you tell is like 14 years in the navy and i'm like well you can't you this is just you being a conspiracy nut you can't tell but yeah. <laughs> but it's also kind of funny though because he's right it's definitely it's not mm-hmm. our military it's not it's, you know and when i say our i don't even mean us i mean our like, as an earth's military <laughs> <laughs> right. collectively this is not our military right um, yeah so so he's he's actually kind of right where he's talking about oh big attacks on the big cities first the large population centers and then phase two is the ground sweeps which is kind of what's happening at the end of the movie it's like he's actually kind of right about a lot of it in a weird way but it doesn't change the fact that he's also a nut job who has all these other problems. It doesn't change the fact that they might be safer outside. <laughs> yes. So a lot, lot of um, interesting stuff. I, I, you know, when she meets Emma and it's like, you know, he's an actor as well. Uh, John Gallagher Jr. who we've seen in a bunch of things. I think, was he the one that was in the, uh, was he in the Me Too episode of Twilight Zone? Was that him? Was it that he was like the husband in that? I want to say. I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't recognize him from anything. 
off the top of my head. Oh, I've definitely seen him in stuff. Although he, did, I don't think he usually has a beard. Yeah, he was in uh, Hush. He was in Short Term Twelve. Yeah, I've seen him in a few things actually. I haven't seen those things, but I I do really like him in this. I find him. He like, was in. He's very likable. He's in three episodes of Westworld. Okay, well I've seen that. <laughs> so you know, uh, I probably don't recognize him because of the beard. Then he was in the newsroom. If you ever saw any of that, I I did. wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh. But, but he's been he's been around. I guess is the point. You know, he's 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 racked up some some credits in the last decade or so. Um. Uh, so yeah, I think he's very well cast as well. He's kind of this, you know, he's just this local guy. You know, his backstory when he talks about it is he has this big kind of regret where, you know, he was given a scholarship to go off and study somewhere, but he got kind of too scared of being like the the dumb, like farm boy sort of character in, in a university full of smart kids. And he kind of intentionally missed his boss and never went. So, yeah. so his arc for the movie is very much that he's actually willing to run at a certain point. Because like, he's willing to just accept that this is a safe place at, at first. So his arc, which is kind of complete before his end, and we'll get to that, uh, is that he is willing to run. He's willing to help her and like figure out a plan, um, mm-hmm. which is different from her uh, story. Which we'll, I will save her story for later. We'll get through all the other things. Because I, I really want to talk about all the little things... Um, all the little moments between her and John Goodman that I think are great. Because um, mm-hmm. when he first brings her out and he lets us walk out, he's like, okay, it's bathroom time. And like, there's one bathroom and it's kind of in his room, right? Um, and he's like, on you go. And she's like, okay, I need some privacy here. I can't really go where you stand. He's like, you're welcome to shut the curtain. <laughs> and Yeah, so, yeah he, I noticed uh, that he didn't bring up the curtain right away. Yeah. Well, I think what I like about it, though, is that he then follows up saying, I'm not some pervert, just go. <laughs> right? And I, you know, this is the thing, I believe that he's, that he's not getting satisfaction out of this, because I think it's very clear as the movie goes on, this is not a a romantic thing, this is a daughter replacement thing, seemingly, uh, from the rest of the movie, right? I think that it starts off that way, but then there's very clearly... Uh, a sexual thing that happens. Okay, oh, well, we, we could we could debate, but regardless, in this moment, he he's you know, he, the way he says, "I'm not some pervert." Like, like even even if this is sexual with her, that you want you know you want something like that down the line. Like, I kind this of be- scene does not feel that way. Yeah, I kind of believe him that he's not into pissing. Okay, <laughs> like that's, that's what I'm getting at. I, like, I believe that this is yeah. not some satisfaction thing for him in this scene. But I think that's very intentional because, like we said, when she wakes up, she's in this room. It feels kind of like a sex dungeon for like someone who's been kidnapped. Everything mm-hmm. about it feels that way. And he, he, like, he he could come across a lot better than he does. Like, I think my temptation, if I was making this movie, would be to have him start off like more genuine. Like he was, no, like seriously, you were hurt. I I handcuffed you to the wall because it would hurt your leg if you moved in your sleep. Here's the key. Yeah, because he, he, he does store it. It's not a key. It's like a little tool to like get rid of it. But he throws her a tool and like. Like, but he kind of makes it seem worse by like the way he's very vague about a lot of the the answers he gives her, um, all that sort of stuff. So I yeah, think I him... like it though. Like he he's he just talks down to her all the time of just like, this is for your own protection. I've done this oh, yeah. for you. Yeah, he does just, that. You know, constantly. take my word for it. But and like, there's something always a bit off about him. But when he says I'm not some pervert, I think that's a very intentional capper to this first part of the movie because mm-hmm. everything from the, from she woke up until now has felt like that's what it was 
mm-hmm. and it sort of started to unfold a little bit as she met Emmett and came outside and it's like, okay this is a bit different than maybe that is so i think him saying that is kind of like the movie like making a definitive point here saying okay let's move on from just thinking this is some guy who's kidnapped a woman for you know sex dungeon reasons right and let's move on yeah. from there i think that's a very intentional moment uh that's in the script for that reason because because i think they know everyone's going to be like thinking about that because that's very much what it feels like and it's intentional it's not it's not like it's, it's not like they made a mistake and like oh people are going to be thinking this we have to get them off of it it's just a case of we have to progress this to the next stage of what the story is and yeah. it's like okay here's a capper in that let's move on for now and get to uh, but what one of my favorite little moments still in this is that she's got a crutch because her leg still hurt right and it's when she goes to walk towards the bathroom there's a moment where she stumbles and she goes to trip and Emmett just, you know, puts his hand out to sort of like grab her arm and sort of keep her from falling. And John Goodman turns around and yells, no touching, keep your hands to yourself, you know, to, you know gets really upset about it. And it's just very weird because there was nothing weird or creepy about the moment. He was just helping her not fall down. But then he yells that and then they both mm-hmm. kind of give, like, they even look at each other, they just kind of both look like off to their own sides like, okay. It is very much a, I'm in charge and I have rules and you guys have to obey those rules. Otherwise, um, like I, I, he just wants everything to be a particular way. You know, even the, the bathroom stuff is like, I need to be here first of all, because you've tried to escape already like three times. And so I just don't trust you. But also like we, we have schedules for using the restroom while we're here because we have very, this is not, we're not living on the surface. This is, everything is a you know is a system and we have to be in constant control there can't be any room for chaos or any room for can't waste flushes can't waste flushes can't waste yeah waste yeah (laughs) Um, because like these moments are great i mean we kind of glossed over her first attempt where she sort of makes like a spear out of her crutch (laughs) by sharpening it and i actually think she's in a sex judge well yeah but there's like there's like a funny beat there though where she sort of does all this there's like a little montage of her making this and she stands up against the wall ready to strike and then like like 10 seconds pass and she realizes oh i might be waiting here for hours (laughs) i need to give him a reason to come back (laughs) yeah but it's a fire but it's a legitimately funny little moment of realization of like oh this is stupid i'm going to be standing here for for like possibly five hours six it may be tomorrow morning before he comes back (laughs) so uh but again there there is a little bit of like it it finds a way to have a little bit of humor just here or there which is impressive given that it never takes away from the the crushing tension that it otherwise has Mm -hmm. uh which which is really smart uh so um yeah, from here, I think the next big scene to talk about, really, with this stuff is the dinner scene, um, where he's made spaghetti, and I only remember that because there's so many shots of, like, awkwardly eating spaghetti in this scene, with us slurping up spaghetti really awkwardly, and Emmett's trying to make small talk, alright, um, I think this is after he showed her the, uh, the pigs outside as well, up at the, the airlock door. Like, you know, mm-hmm. these are the two pigs that are they're hurt. And she's seen yeah. the truck, which she remembers hitting into her. So it's like, no, this is bullshit. You you hit me intentionally. This was not. And she she hears a, a vehicle of some type go by when she's in the bunker. Yeah, yeah. Like the day before, yeah. Um, and the reason why I'm even explaining all this is because she, her, her mission in this scene is to steal his keys so she can make a run for it, right? That's mm-hmm. what she's going to do. But 
one of my favourite little moments of performance. There's actually there's several in this scene. This scene is full of these little moments that make this movie so good. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a way when they first sit down where John Goodman puts on this like fake smile for like three seconds and then kind of snaps out of it and it's it's like, oh, aren't we like a happy family kind of smile and then yeah. sheds it very quickly. Like the illusion goes away, uh, which is a really good moment. But the one, the one I love though is he's talking about like so how's the sauce and she's like oh it's fine and it's kind of like awkward and she's kind of nervous and it's like yeah i'm not a great cook i mean i'm okay but megan megan was a good cook you'll learn to love cooking and the the look she gives him the way her eyes look up at him when he says this Mm -hmm. it's wonderful not just that you're a captive but you're gonna be put to work (laughs) <laughs> like and again it's one of these things where like she doesn't quite know yet like am i a fill-in for this like because megan sounds like a daughter yeah. or am i a fill-in for a wife like where right. is this going here exactly Who the hell is megan and uh <laughs> yeah and I, i'm obviously filling some sort of female role that you have for me yeah you, by you, being the cook you you think i'm going to cook probably clean just to, <laughs> i'll make an assumption that's the other thing he probably expects you to do um it's just this weird, this, and again, it's the way he just casually throws it out there, like it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Emmett, bless him, is trying to lighten the mood. Uh, he's trying to crack some jokes, and there's a great moment where she kind of like gives him this weird like like look, and then the, the, the then the next line comes and actually makes her laugh, and you can kind of see John Goodman kind of watching like they're connecting, they're bonding. Well, yeah, they're getting along, which you think you'd be okay with. But then it's also a little bit of they're the same age and I'm much older than her, (laughs) at least when I'm watching it, too. Like, I don't want them to have a relationship. Yeah, And again, I was kind of taking this as a like, I mean, again, maybe it will turn weirdly sexual. I mean, who's to say? I mean, let's assume that what he says later about having a real daughter and that the wife took the daughter away from is true. Let's let's assume that at one point there was a real Megan because we know that the one he talks about was fake. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I say fake, it was a kidnapped woman. (laughs) who he presumably murdered um but let's assume that was real at some point maybe the reason why the wife ran away with the daughter is because it did turn weird and incestuous but for the most part in the movie it does kind of feel like this sort of like overprotective father thing where he just hates the idea of her having something with him and Mm -hmm. all she does is laugh at a joke that's it like there's nothing even necessarily romantic about this interaction he just reads into it but she notices. But she notices. Because, well, he snaps at them. He says, because, uh, you know, he, he snaps and says, you know, I don't appreciate your jokes at the dinner table and neither does Michelle. Um, and again, it's another one of those moments where she just kind of gives him this look like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean I don't? <laughs> How dare you speak yeah. for me? Uh, She's just uh, figuring out the rules here. <laughs> but obviously far too scared to actually say that out loud to him. Just, you know, that's like, that, that's the beauty of all this is that He's in this position of power. He's got a gun on his belt. At no point can she just thingy. So she has to get, but she, to get a rise out of him, she kind of exploits this by continuing the conversation anyway. And intentionally, she's like, "Hey, Emmy, can you pass the salt?" And then she asks for the pepper, and she intentionally kind of like touches his hand, uh, mm-hmm. just just briefly, just for a moment, uh, uh, when she's asking for the pepper, and John Goodman erupts. Yells at Emmett to stay seated. Has her slams up against the wall. Slams on the table. Yeah, slams on the table. Um, 
demands to know what that was. You think I'm <laughs> blind, you know, maybe you should show me more appreciation. I do this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's a wonderful moment and I think what's so great about this is that when she steals the keys off of his because this is her again this is her being proactive is she takes the keys off this was all a ploy to get him in close so she could take the keys off his belt but we know that he's got a you know a what do you call it a, a bottle cap uh, bottle opener bottle thank you that's the first I was looking for a bottle opener <laughs> he's got a bottle opener on his on his keys um and it was a great moment because the scene starts when he first sits down at the table. It starts with him using it to uncap his bottle. Uh, and after they sit back down after this, when she's got his keys, there's a moment where he just he picks up, he picks up a second bottle and he's had his fingers just doing that along around the top of it. But you know that if he goes for his keys to open his bottle, he's going to know they're gone. So it just plays with the tension of he might immediately just notice they're gone. Like this might mm-hmm. be already over. She's uh, got to make a decision here fast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and she does by smashing a ball over his over his head and making a run for it. But this, of yeah. course, is when the woman with the, the face that's all, you know, burned or scarred or whatever shows up at the door and she's convinced that outside's not safe and that she can't open the door and willingly comes back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and this calms things down. And John Goodman makes the smart ploy to admit that he hit her car. But claims it was an accident that he was keeping that secret because, you know. He heard about the invasion yeah. and just wanted to race home as fast as possible and then hit her on the way and felt yeah. guilty about it. And that's why he took her. Yeah. So it's like a plausible enough thing because you kind of get why he would lie about it, right? Why he wouldn't want mm-hmm. her to know, especially if she already feels unsafe around him. Like, oh, by the way, I can't, I, I'm the one who hit your car. <laughs> like, you kind of believe why he would keep that, if he was otherwise genuine, why he'd have kept that secret. But offering that truth. A partial truth, I should say. Offering that partial truth, along with the actual evidence of something outside, is kind of what settles it down for the middle portion of the movie, where they kind of do have a bit of a happy existence for a little while. Okay. I'll agree that you maybe have saved my life. Mm -hmm. And that maybe this is better than being outside. Yeah. In fact, one of the uh, small moments that I really liked uh, earlier is when he first says he saved her. And that's maybe the first scene they're in together. She actually does say thank you, but it's like a really like... Yeah, it's like, whatever you want. <laughs> whatever thank- you need to hear. It's thank you. Uh, can I have a f- phone so I can, you know, phone my parents and tell them I'm okay or something like that? And yeah. he's like, they're not okay. They're all dead. Everyone you know is dead. <laughs> a lot of little things in the performances to take away from these characters. Uh, the scene where Emmett talks about his backstory... Uh, we should also talk about the other side of that, which is Michelle talking about hers, uh, are specifically kind of the key things that drive her character, which is that she had a, an abusive father. Uh, not, not sexually abusive, not like that, but mm-hmm. a, a father who did get angry. Uh, and more importantly, she had a, a brother who kind of like was always there to take the brunt of and kind of protected her from, from her father. And she tells a story about how she was in a, in a store a couple of years ago, whatever it was, and she saw like a girl be kind of like you know their, their dad was kind of being rough and pulling her like uh, uh, you know down just kind of roughly like, with the arm is kind of like maybe pulling too... her by the arm but just a yeah. little too hard yeah and then when she kind of made some trip at one point it kind of you know turned around and hit her and she says she wished she could have like you know been for her what her brother was for her being this protector but ultimately chickened out right so that sort of like sets up her arc for the movie which is yeah, yeah. she's very proactive in this movie um 
She's still very afraid of that father, though. Yeah. Which, Even which, as an adult, when she's safe from him. Which is why it fits beautifully into John Goodman wanting her to be a daughter figure for him, is that mm-hmm. she, he's an abusive father again for her to fight she's back She's going to get stuck in that cycle. And, and that's why Emma, it never feels like a romantic interest. He feels like a brother character. And he even takes the brunt for her later on in a really mm-hmm. big way when, when things really hit the fan. So it, it's really smart. How, it's not super deep or super like intricate it's just really simple but it works like all the characters click together because they all fill into these roles that relate to her story and yeah what her, what her trauma is and what she's trying to like get over um so that's really neat it's really neat stuff um so yeah we get a montage we get a mo- we get a montage uh he's got a little puzzles and playing puzzles, sorry <laughs> wa- watching movies um you know, he's, he's got he's, a nice collection of VHS and DVD or which, something, he says. Yes, and given that this, you know, it was set, I think, when it came out, which was 2016, uh, the VHS in particular feel a little bit outdated at that point. A little but, bit. He's um, very, I like the way he says it, though. It's always, there's always something just a little bit off about his delivery, you know? He does feel like he's living like two decades ago, constantly. He kind of has yeah. that vibe about him. And maybe that's because that's when he had a wife and daughter. You know, maybe they've been gone a while. Yeah. My cat just keeps trying to sleep on my keyboard. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't want him to hit like a space bar or something that causes everything to freeze. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, So, yeah, I mean, there's little things here. Like, it mentions that she wants to be a fashion designer. And I, this was one of these little details. It doesn't sound like a big deal other than like, okay, later she's going to try and make a, like a hazmat suit effectively. But right. I think what I liked about this detail, especially watching it a couple of times, is that it made me think about, like, the way she says it, right? When she talks about, like, when John Goodman gives her a box of stuff, when she, because she never changes out of her original clothes until after this section where she's tried to escape and then has accepted that this is mm-hmm. real in some way. And that's when she, you know, he teaches her to stitch, stitch his head up and they kind of bond a little bit. Um, and it sets up the, the, the coal spray thing, which she's going to lose la- uh, use later on. But... She, this is when she's actually switched into some of the clothes that he's given her, right? So she's, she's kind of accepted that a little bit. And she opens up and she talks about... And the way she says, I wanted to be... I wanted to d- design clothes. It sounds very past tense. Like, that was something she was perhaps... Maybe her relationship with whoever this guy was, this Ben. Um, well, maybe part of that was, like, not pursuing what she wanted to do. That was something she had to give up for a guy. And that kind of, like you know, fits into, again, her character a lot. It's not, like, a big thing, but it was just one of those little details where I was, like, she said yeah, that... Like, in, like she, in the beginning, you do see, like, the fashion um, little mannequin in the back that that uh, designers used to create clothing and stuff. So it's hmm. almost like she was there for school, but then had to leave and just left everything all at once. Yeah, it, it, it was the way she said it. It didn't sound like she was just saying it in the past tense because the world's ended. It sounded like she was. it was already a past tense thing when she got into that car. Right. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think that was just an interesting little detail that I picked up on the second or third viewing. <laughs> so I was watching it. I don't know which one it clicked for me, but it, it clicked. Um, so I just thought that was a little detail. Um, so yeah, it's all fun. It's all happy. Uh, and then they work together to solve a problem. Uh, there's a problem with the air filtration, and she's the only one small enough to crawl in these little vents to get to it. So she does. She restarts it. It's all fine. But there's a an, an exit here. There's like a padlocked, you know, door. Yeah. Uh, hatch, and when she goes up there and has a look outside, 
uh, she notices that someone on the window had written, help me. And it clearly implies that even before this apocalypse, he had someone captive down here before who was mm-hmm. trying to escape. It was scratched from the inside. The yeah. Class. And it was written in reverse, so whoever would read it on the outside would, would read it properly. Which is really smart. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it would be okay if you didn't, because I think you anyone who saw it backwards would be able to tell, you know, they could tell it said help me. It's a four-letter word, yeah. Word, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I like that the previous victim was able to, <laughs> you know, be that smart. Um, but what's interesting is that when she shows him the photo of, you know, Megan, air quotes, <laughs> uh, immediately Emmett's like, that's not Megan. And it's yeah. like, she's like, what? That's a girl who went to, like, school with my little sister. That's She went missing, like, a couple of years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's when the dread sweeps yeah. over her again. And then there's a second <laughs> photo of that girl, like, sitting on the couch with, with him, uh, with, with John Goodman, and it's like, oh, no. Oh, I thought that was his daughter. Because she was, she looked like a very different girl. I'm pretty sure it was the same girl, and she was wearing the same shirt that uh, Winstead was currently wearing as well. Mm, I guess that's true, yeah. Um, so. Right. So, okay. So, I thought that he really had a daughter because when Emma said, oh, that's not his daughter, because, like, not only does he recognize her, but he knows what his daughter looked like. Yeah, no, I think it's just because he recognizes her. No, I still kind of believe he did have a daughter at one point. Like, maybe that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's all started because he did have a daughter that was taken away from him. And, and you know, given what he's like, I don't blame his wife. <laughs> like, I feel like she made the right call. Yeah. A little bit of a nut bar. <laughs> she made the correct call, I think. Yeah, um, a little unstable. But this sets them into motion where, like, okay, and I, I love this. I love this in simple movies like this where it's like, okay, we're going to be proactive. Let's have a plan. And it's like, look, I, I design clothes. I can make a hazmat suit. And it's like, okay and one of us can go try and get help like we have a way out we have a plan yeah, it's basically we're not safe here he's not who he says he is and who knows how long we're going to be trapped here or even if the air is like poisoned if it's fine by now like he might still make make us wait here mm-hmm. like yeah so this is wonderful stuff because it can kind of complete emmett's arc in a lot of ways because he's willing to go um and for her, you know, once they do kind of get cut out, and there's a, there's a couple of really great tense scenes. There's a scene where, this is one of the other, like, he makes a comment, and it just says a lot about who John Goodman's character is in this, where they're playing the game where they're, like, describing things, and they have to, like, guess what, what they're describing. Mm-hmm. And Emmett's trying to, you know, get him to see a little woman, right? The, the book, or maybe one of the movies, whatever the card said. And he says, and he gets the first word little, right, quite easily. Yeah. And he's like, oh, and the second word, and he's like, Michelle is a, and if at first he says girl, which is fine, like no one, I, yeah. I don't think anyone would think twice about that if someone said girl first, but then he's like, no, no, she's older, so she's a, and he's like, a girl, a child, <laughs> and when he says child, the look on Winstead's face is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Like, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> it's like he cannot think of her uh, in anything other than his baby girl. To be mm-hmm. taken care of, kind of thing, uh, and then. But I loved that when when he revealed what it was, the way John Goodman takes a little timer and goes, "Next time, be more specific." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wasn't his fault. It was Emmett's fault. <laughs> oh, he blames Emmett for everything. Emmett's this third wheel in this scenario. Well, Emmett wasn't supposed to be there. He's not. No, he sort of like forced his way in at the last minute, and. Mm-hmm. 
it's kind of it's, it's again it's this interesting thing where it gives Winstead this big brother character who when he does reveal and yes he also does the, the Santa thing uh, where it's really tense because it sounds like he's like I know what you're doing mm-hmm. I can see what you're doing I'm always watching I'm always watching <laughs> so I skip pissed off <laughs> but only because they're not getting the answer not because yeah. he actually knows what they're doing <laughs> yeah but when she when, when he does kind of come in and says hey we're having a we're having a meeting now and he makes them pull out this barrel which turns out to have acid i'm going to assume it's the same acid that was in episode three of breaking bad for for reference if anyone's know what i'm talking about but where it composes biological material humans will will decompose them down to the bone yeah, because a totally sane man would have that lying around for no right? particular reason. I'm surprised they didn't ask him about the barrel before, because it's not like there's a lot of space. I mean, I guess it was kind of in a hidden wall, but... Yeah, it was in like a like a little compartment. It looked like was... a little closet or yeah. something. Yeah. I, I, cause I, don't, I don't think we get the sense that it's been that much time. Like, at the start of the movie, that she's been there for a couple of days, and maybe it's been a few weeks by the time we get yeah, to this point. Yeah, the montage goes by and it makes it seem like they've been there for a while, I suppose. Yeah. They're getting they along. They watch a few movies. They, they have a few jigsaw puzzles. They play a few games. I don't know. A jigsaw puzzle that's missing pieces. Isn't that annoying? Oh, very upset. Especially when you can't just go and buy a second version <laughs> of it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we have this tense scene where he's like, what were you doing? And then he pulls out the scissors and the, the, the thread that he, he noticed went missing and Basically, uh, you know, Emmett does the big brother thing. He takes the fall. He he puts his neck out for her, just like her brother used to, um, with more dire consequences. Uh, John Goodman accepts the apology, and in what is maybe the best moment of direction in the entire film, and that's saying something, because I think there's a lot of good direction in this movie. Yeah. But the way it does this, and I, I, again, there's a little detail that I noticed more as well as, it, as I saw it again, is that... Not only does the gun just come up in silence and shoot Emmett in the face, which is a really stark, horrific moment, and then all the sound goes away, which again brings me. You get that ringing. You get the ringing, but it kind of mirrors the silence of the opening a little bit, right? Where she's on her own again and like Mm -hmm. vulnerable. But one of the things that I really loved that sold at this time when I watched it is the close up where the gun comes up into frame and shoots them, right? Because the close ups on mirrors with one instead, and the gun kind of comes up in front of her. Is that when John Goodman says, I accept your apology? she sort of sighs and kind of closes her eyes for like it's just i mean it's more of a blink than anything but she closes her eyes just for long enough just a relief yeah that she doesn't see the gun come up so the gunshot itself is actually the the shocking moment for her uh and i I didn't really need it to be explained to me early i wasn't really questioning why didn't you know because you know the hand comes up so quickly and shoots them like you would take a it would take like a second to process like what's happening in front especially something so shocking as that but mm-hmm. the fact that she does shut her eyes for that split second as the hand would be coming up and then opens them as the gunshot happens just adds to the, just that little detail of, like, she didn't see it coming. Right. Uh, and not only didn't see it coming, but the sigh of relief is her thinking they're out of the woods. Like, you know, yeah. it's, like it's the opposite feeling. And only then, to boom. find him, like, surrounding her, trying to comfort her, saying that's okay, this is the way it was always supposed to be. Like I was just waiting to find my opportunity mm. to get to to justify this action. Yeah, I think the first thing you kind of hear him say as the sounds coming back is, "He was going to hurt you. He was going to hurt me." Yeah, you know, but it's okay now. I protect. And I think my favorite like choice 
from a, a narrative point of view for this bit or for the scene after this when he comes back to see her in the room and offer her ice cream yes i hate this moment he is clean shaven he is <laughs> shaved. His shirts tucked in and <laughs> it is such a disturbing moment um is this why you specifically like, think it was going to turn sexual is because yes. he was kind of yeah okay i know i can see a reason for it um, and also because he abducted a little girl and put her in his dungeon the Megan stuff. Oh, the previous girl. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call... I mean, he thinks of Mary Elizabeth Winstead as a little girl, clearly, based on that you game. Yeah, once the Megan but... stuff started like to reveal itself, I was like, okay. Mm. Why do men abduct little girls? <laughs> what can I say? I, I guess I just think it'd be more interesting if it wasn't sexual, just because it's always sexual. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's where this is definitely... I, I, headed. I think because the movie never actually goes to that point, like it's there. If you if you believe that's what he's he's ultimately going to do, it's there. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to like have to think that far, you don't have to. You know, it doesn't get there. You, you, you it's I think it's intentionally a little ambiguous. Even even if yes, more than likely, he was building up to I something. Th I, I think he yeah. Well, I also think that he ran her off the road on purpose because he saw her at the gas station because he also always planned to have a female in that bunker with him. Oh, for sure. No, like definitely. there was always going to be a female companion of some type. Oh, definitely. Um, Obviously, I don't think he picked her one specific. It was obviously I just... I think she was opportunity. Yeah. 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 Flash happened or was going to happen. Which makes me suspect that he was going to kidnap someone new anyway. Regardless, the fact that the apocalypse actually happened is just like mm -hmm. almost coincidental. Uh, yeah. But... Yeah, which is part of the fun of the movie in a weird way. It's like, yeah, it's like because that, well, that's that's because this could all be fake, right? Like the end of this movie could be this was a lie the whole time, none of it was real, and it was all just an abduction thing. But the fact yeah. that you know when we get outside, no, there is actually alien stuff going on. It's like, yeah, there's there's like these two horrible things that just happen to coincide <laughs> with each right. other. I mean, I think he did it because you know she's listening to the radio and stuff she's not really listening to it like paying mm. attention but we do hear on the radio that you know something is going on oh yeah the start and so and that yeah. happens before he crashes into her car so it's probably like this is it like something's going on and this is the moment i've been waiting for i better get me a girl now this girl <laughs> was pretty cute i'll take her <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um there's the first murmurs on the radio of like Oh, there's some yeah. strange activity off the coast of us. You no, know, whatever. Yeah, right. I don't know what it said, but it was something like that. Um, so yeah, I think it's something about like Washington going dark or something. But yeah, this stuff is so good. Uh, like in terms of like its direction, how skeevy uh, it is, and just if it, so. Ugh. Like he offers her ice cream, and I, I think the line that really is so good here is like, "I thought we'd have dessert before dinner because we can do what we want now." Like, what? Yeah. What, what do you mean we? Like, like. You can do what you want though, because there's no. Yeah. There's, there's, also, like your brother character of Emmett was keeping that keeping me in check, and yeah. now he's gone. Yeah, it, it's so it's so suggestive. It's so well done, um, and of course, yeah. it's very quick after this that he comes in to see her again, and like, the the little screw falls off the vent where she's hiding the gas mask she's been making out of bottles, and he finds the suit. And she has to just run for it. It's just, it's just this, you know, make or break moment. Um, it has to be now or never. Uh, and we get 
the standoff. She, she, and she goes, and this is I like this. She specifically goes in to steal the coal spray thing, right? I love that mm-hmm. the movie set that up because it, and it's not just that it sets up that he uses it for his drinks. He specifically tells a story about breaking about off, the navy. yeah, about breaking yeah. off the lock on a door, uh, so that the, the the superior officer would be trapped in there for a few hours. Um, but yeah, no, no, no scene is really wasted in this. No, like everything seems to come back. Everything comes back. Everything has a purpose. Uh, she kicks over the drum. Um, I specifically like the fact that it eats away at the carpet. You can sort of see where it's, you know, there's like a sort of just the wooden floor yeah. for like a big circle where the carpet. And it has that blob effect where it starts off like kind of slimy yellow and then turns red. <laughs> uh, it starts a fire, which I, I mean, it feels very convincing that it would eat through the cable and start some trouble. Like it doesn't feel yeah. far fetched. Um, so John Goodman's like in, in this acid and so when we see him next he's got like a two-faced thing going on where half of yeah. his face is all he's partly corroded and melted <laughs> yeah and he, he goes full slasher villain he starts stabbing the vents when she's climbing through them because she's like making a break for it mm-hmm. uh it's, it's all super entertaining stuff and it feels like we've earned it because we've been building for so long and I, I think you know the shooting of Emmett did feel like the, like the, okay this is the start of act three this has to be the start of like everything going down yeah um so and sure enough uh she she gets to the the hatch she freezes the lock the lock you know the the the, uh the padlock smashes it <laughs> off takes a few attempts gets outside and it goes quiet like she's standing out there made you know it's made out of this the plastic shower curtains which she's used for the hazmat suit she's out there and it's serene there's not a noise you know there's a little tension when she gets like the the leg gets ripped a little bit and she has to duct tape it quickly in case she's going to be infected but then right after that she sees the birds and it's like yep. the birds seem okay screw it <laughs> like you know how long can i survive in this hazmat suit anyway i might as well if you know if it's if it may be safe well this... yeah i mean also some some air got in when she did yeah. the suit and when she patched it up she didn't notice a difference so yeah. maybe the air is fine and sure enough, it seems to be. She seems fine. She breathes in. It's it's all very nice. I mean, the, the bunker explodes because obviously all the fire stuff is happening in the background. Yeah. But although, otherwise, it's perfectly quiet. But it's starting to get dark. And she wants the keys to the car. And this is when... Before before the actual monster, the sort of... The, I'll, I'll refer to it as a big alien dog, for lack of a better <laughs> term. Because mm-hmm. uh, it kind of feels like it is, like... Maybe... I don't know if... It, I, want, I want to say unintentional. raptor-esque. But it kind of feels that when the ship comes back to take it later, it's like, oh, that thing got away. Go and fetch your pet. Kind of, kind yeah. of attitude to it. But uh, this thing has like an anus mouth that opens up with lots of little teeth on it, <laughs> uh, and it attacks her in the truck. She has to hide in the shed, and there's you know, there's a whole chase sequence that unfolds. Um, uh, she does see the ship briefly over the cornfield, though, and then uh, mm-hmm. you know eventually it comes behind. It's a very close encounters shot. As it yeah, comes I from like, behind the house. I like that scene though, because when she steps up, like she steps on top of the vehicle, she looks over, she sees something floating in the air that's far away, and she thinks, "Well, we have like airplanes and blimps and stuff, but there's something not right about this." Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and then when it turns around and it's not moving like anything, she recognizes on Earth. She's like, "Oh, are you freaking kidding me?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there was actually some truth to some of this shit. Sadly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it actually, if I was to compare it to Ethan, it actually looks, and I'm not just saying this because it's a Firefly thing, but it looks a little bit like some of the Reaver ships and like Serenity. It was giving me kind of that mm. vibes. Uh, but, uh, I don't remember. But yeah, but, but I mean, they didn't have the, the technically parts that this has eventually, but uh, just the general shape of it reminded me of that. Um, 
but uh and you know i like that yeah it does start to spray a gas when the ship shows up so she has to like dart back to her gas mask like oh this may actually be handy now <laughs> yeah <laughs> um honestly if i have a complaint about this section which I, I do enjoy i think it's fun i think it's fun that this all is like actually happening it makes it fit into sort of the cloverfield kind of theme Mm-hmm. Um, is I do think her taking down the whole ship with a Molotov cocktail to its like sensitive like hole <laughs> um, is a bit it's a bit too action movie and like over the top versus suppose, like, the rest of it, it. You know, I mean, we got the establishment of the Chekhov's whiskey bottle in the beginning of the true, film. true. Yes, that was and, the bottle she had with her at the start. Yeah, yeah, and she, uh, which I mean, I don't know how it survived being flipped over from the beginning anyway but all right um we know it was there and uh you know she's been she's been a fighter this whole film she's been trying to fight her way out of this and it turns out like he really was prepping her for the apocalypse of an alien invasion (laughs) you know she's out of the frying pan and into the fire situation and finds her way through it it's just the, the you know the over the top visual effect of seeing the truck picked up and her throwing a Molotov into the into the entranceway. It, it kind of it felt like a big dumb movie blockbuster scene and yeah. and a in a movie that otherwise has been very reserved and indie feeling and yeah, but it just there, feels a bit there out was place. still the it, I don't mind it so much because they've been showing us the whole movie that she is capable of finding her way out of a, a sticky situation. Oh, and yeah, yeah it gets not, more and more intense each time to the point I'm where I'm not like, critiquing it from the sense of like her ability. I'm critiquing it from a tone yeah. problem. Like it just yeah. feels out of place. Okay. That's, that's all I mean. I just, it just, it feels like it's the just clover too field much. part feels out of place for you. No, not the whole thing, just this moment. Mm-hmm. Like running from the monster's fine, seeing the ship, like chasing her's fine, all that stuff. Seeing it off in the distance, all fine. Just the big action movie moment of like she single handedly destroys an entire spaceship on her own with a Molotov, uh, <laughs> just feels a bit, I don't know, over the top. Uh, you know, it, it takes me out of it just a little bit. So, you know, it's an epic. It's not a big thing, but yeah, you know, it's there. Uh, but she gets the keys from the dead woman and all this, and takes her car, uh, and drives off. And here's on the radio. Uh, of two locations one i can't remember which one was which one was baton rouge i can't remember which one the other one was but one was there's a there's shelter and safety here a camp that you can go to yeah i think it was like northern texas or something yeah, yeah. One, one's a place for safety uh, where you can seek refuge and the other one uh is where we're actually starting to win the fight a little bit so if you have any medical or combat experience and you can think you can help then come here and that's specifically the one she has to do you know, like the straight aheads the safety taking the left turn is to go help the fight and she specifically that in this completes a character arc she turns left to go and help because mm-hmm. um like for Emmett's death to mean something for her brothers whatever he did for her when she was younger to mean something because he's probably dead now maybe maybe he's in the army maybe he's maybe he's fighting he's in the resistance he's fighting the aliens who knows <laughs> maybe but um yeah she makes the, this is her standing up to that that man that was pulling on the little girl into yeah. her father this is her going to help protect the planet. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, she can help some people. So it's uh, it's neat. It's it, you know, it's a simple character arc. It works. Everything clicks together between all the different character arcs. Um, yeah, and I, I dig the alien stuff at the end. It's it's just the action movie moment of the Molotov and like she single handedly takes down a whole ship. Feels a bit. It feels a bit like superhero almost. 
Yeah, I suppose the the ship it seems to be like organic and biological. So she did like throw a makeshift bomb into its mouth or whatever the orifice is. It had flaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I, like I'm not like like it wasn't shaped like anything. It was just a circle, but it did have flaps. It had like three yeah. flaps. It seemed like it was a weak point. <laughs> <laughs> she found a way to take down the boss. <laughs> I feel like if most of us had Molotov shoved in any orifice, it would probably be pretty effective. It'd probably take us down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would be effective. Even the earlobe. I mean, it's, I mean, it's still the head. <laughs> like, you know. The brain's behind there. Fun, kind of uplifting. I mean, at first it's a bit of a downer because it's like, oh shit, she's gotten out, but the world's like over. Mm-hmm. But then we hear, no, we're fighting back, we're winning. Um, you know, people who are able to like survive and the, the strong, which she is. The movie has done nothing but shows that she is strong. She was strong even before, and she was proactive even before she had her arc. But like, it's almost like she's proactive because she's forced into a position where she feels like she's just trapped and she has to like start fighting back like this. Like it's a natural instinct. But she truly like gets to the point where she's going to make that choice no matter what by the end of the movie because she's put through this tough time. So yeah, that's good stuff and. As she's driving away, we see the letterbox, uh, or the, the the post box, sorry, uh, which says 10 Cloverfield Lane. That was his address, just right. to bring it all together. Um, yep. This definitely seems like it was not a Cloverfield movie in the beginning, but then was turned into one. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, I... Yeah. I don't think there's any reason why movies for an anthology like this... In fact, me and Tim just reviewed... Uh, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, and I said, there's no reason why the stories in these movies have to be developed as Tales from the Crypt movies. They can just be fun horror movie scripts that just happen to fit the tone of Tales mm-hmm. from the Crypt, and just put the bookends on it, and that's that's you. You've got a Tales from the put Crypt movie. Put in the Crypt Keeper, doing yeah. his puns. Um, and same with Cloverfield. Like, if all you have to do is work in the word Cloverfield, and maybe at least imply some sort of alien element to it, even if there's not an alien vibe to the whole thing, then... Sure. Sure, do it. Like whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'd say give me more, but I heard that the next one is not good. <laughs> well, you're going to find out. Yeah, I have not you're, seen it. You're going to find out, which had an even more like spur of the moment release than uh, this one did. This was a <laughs> right. This was a Super Bowl spot that said later tonight on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I watched that Super Bowl. Did not watch the movie though. There was a shadow drop, as we call it in the video game industry. Um, <laughs> That's right. So. You don't usually get shadow drop stuff in the movies because movies by their nature are like, oh, this is coming out in a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is coming out in two years. This is, we're going to count Well, down. now that you can go straight to a streaming service, you don't have to release it in the theater. Maybe you can keep it more secret. Yeah, you can. Apparently, it's funny, the day of recording, apparently Netflix are teasing that David Fincher's dropping something on Netflix tomorrow. So What? Crazy. Yeah. Uh, sadly, the it's... Social Network sequel? Sadly, it's probably going to be a movie that we knew was working on and not season three of Mindhunter, which is what I want it to be. But, mm. you know. Can't always get what you want. Screw you, Fincher. It's a seven season plan. We've got this story in the background that's going to be building for the whole show. Oh, I, I don't feel like making season three. Season two was a lot of work. <laughs> Prick. <laughs> okay, maybe it will be season three. Maybe you'll eat those words. I, I would love nothing more than to eat those words. I would love nothing more. But no, this is a delightful thriller uh, that has sci-fi overtones, and then obviously the sci-fi ending. 
Um, but I, I think I think if nothing else, you can sort of look at it in a, in, a, in a sense that it's about what makes someone capable of surviving the sci-fi like alien invasion. That's what the movie's about. So that's why the the alien invasion part just at the end because it's about making someone ready for it. Yeah, he really did prep her. Yeah. You're all saying that. You're all saying prepper. Well, I played a lot of Far Cry 5. There's a lot of prepper stations. Ah, yes. <laughs> As someone who's playing a little bit of Far Cry 6 right now, I am sick to the death of the word gorilla. They keep saying gorilla. Oh, gorilla. You can be the best gorilla. That's what you are. You're the gorilla. Ah, oh, but they never shut up about it. That's all they say. Well, it hasn't gotten to the point where it annoys me yet, but yeah. I'll be taking a little break from Far Cry for a minute. Hmm. Yes. So, um, there you go. That's uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. It is a very, very good movie, and I think Tara is about to rate it fairly highly. <laughs> you suspect, huh? Yeah, I really, uh, I really loved the film. I, I loved watching it. Uh, I remember watching it in the theater and being very impressed by it, and haven't seen it since then until we've watched it for this review and boy i still really like it <laughs> wasn't really very much that changed the second viewing um i i think I, a lot of the details i remembered in, incredibly well from the first time and yeah. if anything i would say the end like, you know when she gets out and the aliens are real if anything that is like better because like i think the first time it would be a little jarring because you're not really sure if it's going to go that right. way so you're kind of like I, I think knowing it's going there at the end actually makes it flow even better uh, yeah maybe I, I, yeah, I wasn't quite sure when I watched it. I, I thought some of it could have been a setup, or at least it wasn't a, like he was saying. Um, and the Cloverfield thing was just like a red herring or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, really, really enjoy it. I'll give it an 8.5. I'm also going to give it, uh, so it's 8.5 Cloverfield Lane, I think you'll find. Right. <laughs> Uh, I even eight point five is exactly what I had in my mind. I think I gave it an eight when it came out, and I think I've been up a point five uh, on the repeat viewings because it holds up. Um, yeah. I think th there's nothing worse than thinking you really like a movie because it, you know, it was it was a good enough time in the theater, and then but then you watch it again a few years later and go, ah, oh, you know, it's not as good as I remembered. You know, it's it's you know, it's fine, it's good, but it's not. Uh, this this is one that I think actually holds up and kind of goes into the. You know, I I think you know people who hear me complain about movies, uh, probably think I'm a jaded movie guy who hasn't liked anything in years. But no, believe it or not, there's a good handful every year that I do really like. It's just, you know, you see trailers for Home Alone Six, Scream Five, and <laughs> like other things that just keep you know, coming looking back. Looking for the for the looking forward to the Ellie Kemper Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> kid jo Joe's so funny is the kid's mum in the, the new movie I recognised mm -hmm. and I looked up her IMDB and I'm like I don't I've not seen any of this why, why do I know her and it's because she's actually on panel shows in the UK a lot I've seen her on like shows where she's just herself like I've not oh. I've never I, I didn't even know she was an actress which is I why it, it took me like a second to be like where did I know her from I can know her face but I had that I had that with uh, Olivia Munn because I only mm. knew her from G4 no, why an Irish woman has a son who has a Kiwi accent? I mean, whatever. That kid's great. <laughs> I don't know why, but yes. Uh, I also saw an article the other day. It said um, 
is, is Ghostbusters Afterlife the start of a Ghostbusters cinematic universe? And I'm like, no, stop it. Why has everything got to be cinematic universes now? Shut up. Know. I'm not that excited for Ghostbusters, honestly. Like, I really like the movie, but I'm just, I'm getting so jaded with everything coming back and everything being a nostalgia sequel now and everything. Nah, anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about technical for the which we're finished. So uh, I will take yep. this opportunity to ask you to like and subscribe and ding the bell for notifications and all that jazz. Um, it helps us out a lot if you do. And you can also, of course, uh, get us on the Twitters at Screams Midnight for all your Mail Fuzz movies needs. And I will remind you once again that it's th- we're not necessarily taking a week... I mean, it may be a week off, actually, by the time we get to the next episode. But We'll be so, back for Dune, for sure. Yeah, if Dune, not, something sooner. Yeah, D- Dune is definitely happening when it comes out. Uh, uh, but you may get two episodes close together. Whether well, there's one right before doing or one right after doing, you'll probably get too close together uh, as we kind of catch up a little bit. But uh, that, that is a planned absence there. Uh, Babylon 5 taking a week off as well. Uh, and Twilight Zone. And Twilight Zone, yeah. So um, do not worry about it. Uh, so cool. Uh, why I'm doing this in the middle of the plugs before I get to the Patreon process, I don't know. But Tara's going to pose for the thumbnail. So uh, here we go. Um Okay, I'm I'm going to set you up with a line, and I'm hoping you're going to react to it. <laughs> okay, three, two, one. You'll learn to love cooking. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> um, good, nice attempt, <laughs> nice attempt. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm not an actress. That's fair. Yes. But nor am I an actor, for for the, for the record. Um, but yeah, so this, man, those little moments are so good. Uh, all right, so <laughs> you can, of course, uh, support us on Patreon. Our Patreon producers, which is one of our higher tiers, are as follows. I would like to thank them. Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Bordenow, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Uh, those are our producers for the month. Uh, but of course you can head over to Patreon to support us for as little as a dollar. Isn't that right, Tara? That's right, Peter. You don't want to just keep going? <laughs> no? Okay. Yeah, you can, you can finish it. Fine. Sure, <laughs> alright. If you enjoy our reviews, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. And if you donate as less $1 per month, you'll get access to bonus episodes of The Ace. You can find your favorite B-movies there and maybe some higher quality ones too, like uh, Time Cop or Just Dread. And if you donate $5 per month, you will get access to these reviews one day early and you'll be able to vote on what we watch once a month, like 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, Thank you. Yes. Yes, what you don't all know, that if you go all the way back to like episode three of the show, you can hear me say it in the middle, You'll learn to love doing the Patreon plug. Oh, uh, yikes. <laughs> I am uh, captive. <laughs> yeah, let's stop this joke right now. I, I don't want, uh, <laughs> I don't want uh, accusations being thrown my way. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa.